short with us a couple of weeks ago as we began talking about the DNA of Antioch Church. I'm just going to do a very, very quick review. Uh, we said a number of things. We said Antioch Church, the DNA, if you cut us, this is what we bleed. We bleed the kingdom of God. Number two, we bleed sonship. Number three, part of our DNA is community, kingdom community or kingdom family. Number four, the Holy Spirit, the leadership of the Holy Spirit, the acknowledgement of the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Number five, we believe in the apostolic. We believe in the fivefold ministry. We don't believe that was something that disappeared years ago. We believe that's something that is still available for us today. How many of you believe that? How many of you believe that we, we need and want the apostolic, the prophetic, the evangelistic, the pastoral, the teaching ministry? When we put all of those together and all of those are represented, we have a healthy house. We have a healthy family. We can advance the kingdom. We need all of those things to advance the kingdom. And then finally, said, we said that part of our DNA is, is missions. And uh, just by a show of hands, how many of you are training or preparing to be launched out, whether it's through AGM or through another missions organization in the house. Let me see hands. Let me see hands here today. And uh, if I'm not mistaken, uh, James and Melanie, is Melanie here today? James and Melanie, they're going to be heading to Peru this week. Is it this week? The week after. All right. So these guys are going to be headed to Peru and uh, they're like forerunners. They're going to be preparing the ground because I'm actually leading a team to Peru in November. About a week after Christy gets back, we have a team in Spain right now. We've got Joyce and Christy and Jareb and Becca. They're all in Spain. Uh, they just went to the airport this morning at 6 a.m. So we believe that Antioch is supposed to be a global house. And so the thing that I love that Christy and the strategy team for Antioch Global Missions has recently adopted is that we don't just send teams out in the summer now, we send teams out year round. And so we're gonna have summer teams, we're gonna have fall teams, spring teams, uh, winter teams, and uh, that's how it should be, both locally and globally. How many of you guys agree with that this morning? As I was getting into the remainder of talking about the DNA of, of Antioch, in fact, a good buddy of mine was here a couple of weeks ago, Jonathan Hayward, and he spoke to the, uh, the missions teams and was, was kind of making fun of me a little bit because, you know, I said the, 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 the DNA of Antioch series was just going to be a couple of weeks. And he said, yeah, if I know Jade, that's going to be uh, probably about four or eight weeks. And uh, as I was getting into this, it's going to be more than a couple of weeks. <laughs> All right, so all the family member, they, they just laugh. And if you're guests or if you're visitors with us today, um, we just take series a little bit longer than the normal church does, okay? That's all you gotta know about that. Go jump on the website and you can see. Today, we're gonna talk about passion. We're gonna talk about the fact that when you, when you identify uh, a member of Antioch Church, one of the things, one of many, but one of the things that people ought to be saying about you, they ought to be saying about us, is they ought to be saying those are some of the most passionate people that I have ever met in my life. And so, and I'm just gonna talk about passion today. Two weeks ago, we nailed six things. I could obviously break each of those things down and unfold and unpack those for many, many weeks. Today, I'm only gonna hit one topic and today's topic is passion. And we're gonna start by understanding that number one, God is a passionate God. If you have your Bibles, turn with me, if you would, to the book of Zephaniah, in the Old Testament, the book of Zephaniah, chapter three, verse 17. The reason why we are a passionate people is because God is a passionate God. The reason why we are a wholehearted people, the reason why we are fully engaged in everything that it is that we do is because that's who God is. 
All right, here we go. Zephaniah chapter three, verse 17. The word says, the Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He will take great delight in you. It's a great word there. He'll take great delight in you. That's a passionate word. He will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love. And then it says this, he will rejoice over you with singing. The word rejoice there is a very interesting word. The word rejoice means to dance, to leap, to skip, and to spin around for joy. The word means, the Hebrew root of the word means to spin around under violent emotion. It means to dance. So I want us to go back and I want us to look at this passage of scripture with these nuances here. The Lord your God is with you and he is mighty to save. He will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love and he will dance, leap, skip and spin around for joy over you with singing. Now, I don't know about you and I don't know what your history and your background is in the church or religious matters. By the way, God's not a religious God. God is a God who's fully alive. He's fully awake. He's not sleeping. There's nothing about God that is boring. There is nothing about the things of God that are boring because God is the most violent, the most passionate, the most furious, the most fully alive, fully awake entity or being that you and I will ever come across in our existence of living. God is a passionate God. And here, listen to these words. He will dance and skip and leap and spin around over your life with singing. That is awesome. That's not the picture that we get in, in, I don't, in, in other children's churches. I don't know, that may, that may not be the picture they get. I want our kids to know that God is dancing, leaping, skipping, and spinning around them and singing over them. That's my God. That's your God. That's the God of Antioch Church. I'm not making this up. He's not stiff. He's not rigid. He's not inflexible. He's not quiet. He is a passionate God. I want you to imagine if you can, and this is the beautiful thing that God has given us imagination to participate with him. I want you to imagine what creation must have looked like. I want you to imagine what it must have been like where there was absolutely nothing and then God in his infinite creativity begins imagining and as he's imagining, there's this harmony between what he's thinking and what he's speaking and he says, you know what will be good right here? Why don't, we, why don't we put a sun right here? And all of a sudden, all these gaseous atoms begin forming together and fire explodes in the midst of darkness and he says, here's what we need. We, 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 need, we need water and, and we need oceans and we need water waterfalls. And over here, why don't we just throw some things together and, and make some mountains? And I don't know if you've seen all the different types of insects and types of creatures in the sea, but that is the passion of God displayed through his creativity. The other day I was driving up through the mountains. And if you've ever been through Terriol, which is just about an hour to an hour and a half from here, the Terriol mountains are perhaps one of my favorite places in Colorado. And it looks like, as I was driving with a friend of mine, I said, it looks like God and the Holy Ghost were playing a, a, a match of marbles together. Because you just look around and all you see is these huge boulders everywhere. And it looks like that the Holy Ghost and God the Father just, he said, hey, why don't we just play a marbles match over here? Come here. And in all those things just began compiling together. And it's the passion of God expressed in his creativity. Perhaps the greatest place that you and I experience the passion of our passionate God is in his passionate pursuit of saving our lives 
from the bondage of the enemy. How many of you like a good war movie? How many of you like, how many of you like, uh, liked Lone Survivor or, or Rescue Dawn or, or movies where men have to train to go into harm's way to rescue people who have been captured? Now, there's something in our DNA that speaks to us when we see that. When we see people who are willing to lay down their lives and pay a price and train and prepare to go and rescue those who have been freed or who have been imprisoned to bring freedom to them. It speaks to something deep inside of us. I believe it speaks to the image of God inside of us. I believe it speaks to the passion of God inside of us. God is passionate about seeing you free. God is passionate about seeing you restored. God is passionate about seeing your family become everything that your family was created and called and assigned and brought together to be. He's passionate about that. He's passionate about seeing you healed. He's passionate about seeing you walk in prosperity. He's passionate about seeing you overcome sin. It is the passion of God that pursued us in the person Jesus that drove him to the cross. There's a reason why it's called the passion of the Christ. God does not do anything half-heartedly. I want you to imagine everything that God did and imagine if you could him doing it kind of laissez-faire, half-heartedly, accidentally. Can you imagine God sending the plagues into Egypt accidentally? Can you imagine God half-heartedly opening up the Red Seas? Can you imagine him half-heartedly closing the mouth of the lions? or getting into the fiery furnace and rescuing those, four, those three Hebrew children. Can you imagine him doing anything half-heartedly? And I like to think about Jesus. And I like to think when I read the scriptures or the gospels, you know, you know what a great thing to make your time of reading the word come alive is imagine those things like movies or stories coming alive in your head. And imagine the leper in Matthew chapter eight coming to Jesus and Jesus just kind of half-heartedly healing him. I can't imagine Jesus half-heartedly healing anyone. I think, I think when you looked into the eyes of Jesus, you, you saw something that gripped you. Fire mixed with love, mixed with innocence and tender and beauty and safety, all wrapped into one. Jesus is a passionate God. I love today as we were singing and, and, and Alyssa said, just keep looking on his face. Keep looking on his face. Some of my favorite passages of scripture in the word are the ones that describe Jesus. Revelation 1, Ezekiel 1, when they talk about not the Jesus that came as a lowly lamb, but the Jesus that will come. The Jesus who is who he is in the fullness of his glory. Look upon his face. I guarantee you, you will see passion in his eyes. I guarantee you when Jesus was breaking bread and feeding the 5,000, I guarantee you he wasn't bored when he was doing that. Can you imagine being with the disciples? There was not a moment that was dry. One moment he's walking on the water. One moment he's raising a widow's son. One moment he's raising Lazarus. Another moment he's feeding thousands of people. Why? Because he was bursting with life. When he taught, it wasn't dry. It wasn't dead. It wasn't sterile. It wasn't religious. It wasn't a set of rules. When he spoke, something got into the spirits of men. And it impregnated them with the same Zoe life of God. He was, he was emanating life because he's a God of passion. Friends, I don't know what's going on in your life right now, but what I can tell you is this, God is a God of passion. 
I believe that when we tap into passion, we tap into something of the heart of God. I believe that we can move God's heart, not with personality, not with willpower. I believe that when something of God grips us, I believe when we call to him, it grips something inside of him. Over and over and over again, you see God moved by the passion of people in the scriptures. He is totally right in everything he says. And listen to this, he is totally vested in everything he does. Isn't that awesome? He's vested. Do you know what that means? It means everything he says and everything he does in our lives and beyond us, he is 100% committed to it. 100% committed to everything that he does. And whatever God asks us to do, he asks us and he commands us and invites us to do it wholeheartedly as well. Deuteronomy chapter six, verse five. You know, there was a group of people that got together around Jesus and they asked him what the greatest command was. And Jesus quoted this verse spoken by God himself in Deuteronomy six, five. And it says, love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your strength. That sounds like passion to me. It sounds like God not only invites us into passionate living, it sounds like God expects it. God commands us, love me with all of your heart. In fact, as I was going back and reading through some of the Old Testament prophets, reading through Jeremiah right now, and one of the things that got those guys in trouble is they lost their passion for God. And they became more passionate about wooden idols and they became more passionate about Asherah poles and they became more passionate about the sexual promiscuity than they did about the God who rescued them and captured their hearts. They walked away from their first love. Friends, what we're dealing with on a national level is a result of corporately on a national level, a people walking away from their passion for God. It can happen to individuals. It can happen to churches. It can happen to families. It can happen to nations. That's why God says, if you will love me with everything inside of you, if you will make sure to search your heart and to see if there's anything that is fighting for my attention, if you'll be, if you'll be sure to do that, if you'll search and examine your life and see if there's anything else that's contending for first place in your life, if you will make me first, if you'll be passionate about obeying me, it will go well with your life. That's what God says. What is passion? The word, the word comes from a Latin word, pasco. It means to be affected. It means to feel. It means to have a sensible experience. Isn't that really good? To be affected. Webster's 1828 dictionary says, it is the feeling of the mind or the sensible effect of impression. It is excitement. I like this right here. It is violent agitation or excitement of mind. When's the last time you've been violently agitated by something in the spirit? When's the last time you've been violently agitated about something in the spirit? When's the last time you've been violently agitated about a cause in the earth? Whatever that cause may be, it might be homelessness. It might be illiteracy. It might be single mothers. It might be adoption. It might be foster care. Whatever it, it might be sex trafficking, whatever it is. But when, when you see people who are willing to pay a price and lay down their life, it's because something has touched their passion. They become violently agitated. I believe the people of God should be violently agitated at injustice in the earth. I believe that it is wrong for people of the earth to be more bothered by injustice than the people of God. It's absolutely true because God is 
furious. He is furious when the enemy holds people in bondage. He is heartbroken at the plight of those who are experiencing brokenness in their lives. He's heartbroken. He's furious. He's passionate. He is in love with seeing people become who they're called to be in him. Violent agitation or excitement of mind. Here's another word, zeal or ardor or vehement desire. Vehement desire. Friend, can somebody describe your relationship with God as being a vehement desire? I want people when they think of me, I want people when they think of the family of Antioch, I want them to say, that's a group of people that are crazy vehement desire. And you know, the problem is we've been so subdued because we're so afraid of what people will think about our passion for God. We can be passionate about everything else on the earth. We're passionate about guns. We're passionate about golf. We're passionate about killing animals. We're passionate about saving animals. We're passionate about food. We're passionate about desserts, but God forbid we be passionate about the God who pursued us, about the God of passion. Don't you ever apologize for your passion for God. In this house, your passion for the living God will be protected and it will be encouraged and it will be, we will spur that passion on. I want to be passionate about family. I want to be passionate about community. I want to be passionate about the lost coming to know God. I want to be passionate about worship and passionate about the nations responding to God. God is not a boring God. He is a passionate God. He dances over us. I believe this morning he was dancing over us. He was spitting around over us. I believe God roars over us. I believe God fights for us. The Bible says he's a warrior. You don't, call, you don't call boring, dead, sleeping people warriors. You call passionate people warriors. People who are willing to fight and lay down their lives for things that matter. Let me talk with you about what passion is not. It's not personality. Don't look up here and go, well, that's your personality and this is my, that's not my personality. Passion's not volume. It's not willpower. It's not something that we elicit in the soul. Passion comes from God. Our expression of passion does come from our soul, but I believe pure passion is something that is birthed in the spirit. In fact, if I take this a little, a little step further, I believe that unsaved people, they cannot tap into a passion that we can tap into because their spirits are dead. And why is it that, why, why is it that they live more passionately, more alive, more awake, more vibrant? more excited, more adventurous than the people of God do. Friends, that should not be. We have the God of passion in our bellies. He dwells within you. He's a God of passion. I'm gonna talk for a few minutes about where passion comes from. Number one, it comes from a revelation of who God is. The reason why I'm driving this home over and over and over, because I'm confronting every religious ideal that says that we have to be subdued and quiet and uniform, that is not God. And that spirit has killed more passion and it's killed more churches and it's killed more Christians because we've not understood who God is. Passion comes from a revelation of who God is. I want your assignment, our assignment this week is to think about the passion of God. Think about every fire breathing prophet in the Old Testament. You, where, where'd that come from? That came from the passion of God. 
Think about, think about uh, David and Solomon building the glorious temple unto God. Where'd that come from? It came from the passion of God. Yes. Ephesians 5.1 says, be imitators of God, therefore as dearly loved children. Be imitators of God as dearly loved children. When Milan was about two years old, I was having a staff retreat over at my house. All the guys slept out in tents in my backyard. The gals slept inside. And uh, I was still outside when this was going on. Christy told me the story. The girls had woken up a little bit earlier and they were hanging out. And my little two-year-old daughter, Milan, probably maybe just even 18 months at that time, she was pacing. I mean, it, it was the craziest thing. She was sitting down in the group with everyone. There's probably about six or eight girls that were there. And uh, out of nowhere, Milan just stands up and she starts pacing back. In, in, in the living room. And she starts throwing her hands like this. And she starts pointing at people and she starts, you know, saying like, get up, come on. And you could see something just came over this little two-year-old girl. She was interceding. Something entered the room. Chrissy told me, she said, Jade, when she got up and started pacing back and forth like that, she said, something entered in the room, something holy. And we all, and we just, we all were just mesmerized at this little two-year-old girl pacing back and forth with passion. Something was gripping her. Where did she get that? Be imitators of God as dearly loved children. She saw in her brief 24 months of existence, she had saw a community of people. She had seen a mother and a father who were exuding passion in the lifestyle of prayer. Friends, we grow in our passion the more we look at the passionate nature of God. Your marriage ought to be the most passionate thing and you don't have to read a Cosmo magazine to get there. You know, all these shows that are on, Desperate Housewives and Army Wives, and you know, how, how much further are they gonna go with this thing, right? So, you know what that is? That is the world's attempt to touch the passion in marriage that is available to us. We need to read no magazine to know how to be passionate with my wife. Come on, somebody. Huh? Passion is within us. You were born for passion. Be imitators of God. You know, you know what I love about the book of the Song of Solomon? A lot of scholars go back and forth. Well, it's an allegory. It's a theological deal. No, I think God put that book in there to show us that he is a romantic. I think God put the Song of Solomon in there to say, I am crazy about my bride. And, and I created sex and it is beautiful when it is sanctioned underneath my covenant. And I created people to be passionate for one another, just like I'm passionate for them if it's done in the right way. Are you hearing me this morning? We watch him and we learn his passion. Number two, passion comes from being made in the image of God. I mentioned this a couple of minutes ago, but you know, you look at people, they go crazy over the Broncos, crazy over the, over, over the Crimson Tide, crazy over the Seahawks, you name it, you name it. What is that? being made in the image of God. Misdirected, but made in the image of God. We have the capacity for passion because we're made in the image of God. Number three, passion comes from our love and our gratitude. It comes from our love and our gratitude. There's a great story in Luke chapter seven. 
I'm not gonna go into all the story for the sake of time. It's a story of a gal who is washing Jesus' feet. You know what? I, I, I'm gonna to, to touch on more verses there. I feel a little something on this. Go with me to Luke, Luke chapter seven. And we'll begin at verse 36. Now, one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him. So he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And when a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume. And as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. And then she wiped him with her hair and kissed them and poured perfume on them. And when the Pharisee who invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is. Ale, she's a sinner. <laughs> and Jesus answered him, Simon, I've got something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said, two men owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. And neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he canceled the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? And Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled. And he says, you have judged correctly. And then he turned toward the woman and said, Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven for she loved much, but he who has been forgiven little loves little. Let me talk with you about this story here, a couple of thoughts. First and foremost, I love the translation of, uh, it's, this is the international standard version. It says, I'm telling you that her sins, as many as they are, have been forgiven. And that's why she has shown such great love. That's why she has shown such great love. Brennan Manning, great author, great speaker, has shaped a lot of my understanding of what it means to be a son. He talks a lot about the love of the father. And he talks a lot about sonship. And in one of his books, I believe it's Abba's Child, he, he, he talks about the fact that unless we're willing to look at the depravity of our sinful nature, see, most of us don't like going there, isn't that right? We don't like thinking about how totally debased we really are. A lot of us don't like thinking or like admitting that a lot of the thoughts we have in our sinful nature are just as bad, just as ugly, and just as grotesque as the other people that are out there in the world that we like to judge. Come on, are we, are we right about that? And the thing that has saved my life by the grace of God is somehow by his grace, he has given me a revelation of how totally depraved I really am. Even with Christ, even with the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of me, friend, I am, I am very, very well aware of my selfish, sinful, soulish, deceitful Jacob nature that dwells inside of me. I know it's there, I know it exists. And you know what that does? It makes me so grateful for God. It makes me so grateful. And that, that expresses itself in passion. Do you know why I can be passionate in worship? Because I have been forgiven much. Never been to jail, never, never, well, that's a lie. <laughs> Let me track that. 
I have been to jail, so that's why I love him much. Uh, ne- never, never, never used any uh, drugs. Never drank alcohol. But in the depths of my heart, I know how selfish, I know how arrogant, I know how proud, I know how lustful, I know how divisive, I know how controlling and manipulative the sinful nature is inside of me. And when I touch the mercy of God and I touch the depth, see, here's the thing, when we're unwilling to look at that, then essentially we've been forgiven little because you know what we do? We look back and we go, I'm so glad I'm not like those guys. Um, that's why Jesus, that's why he shared that story huh? About that, about that Pharisee and the tax collector. And the Pharisee said, I'm just so glad I'm not like this guy. And the tax collector said, God have mercy on me because I'm willing to look at the depths of my sin. Friend, your sin, the state of your sin has nothing, has very little to do with what you do. It has very much to do with what is in you. Are you hearing me this morning? And if you, if, you will, if you will be honest with yourself and with God, you will touch a level of passion in your life. When you start thinking about the great gratitude of what God himself through Jesus went through to purchase your sin. See, if you don't feel like, if you, don't feel like you needed to be saved of much, the cross will mean little to you. The cross means everything to me. It means everything to me. The cross means everything to me. The cross is my source of passion because I'm so grateful for the mercy and the pursuit of God. Come on, talk to me this morning. Passion comes from loving God with the very love that he gave to us. I don't wanna love God with a soulish love. In fact, friend, you cannot love God without God. The love that you and I have for God is insufficient without him. It's his perfect love that comes inside of us. It's his perfect love received out of tenderness and mercy. It's his perfect love received out of gratitude. And when we give his love back to him, it becomes a complete love. Examples of passion, very quickly. I just wanna hit this one example of passion. It's, it's the man, David. We've got many examples of passion in the Old and New Testament, but I want to talk about David here for a few minutes in 2 Samuel chapter 6. David was a man who was passionate for the presence of God. He's passionate for the heart of God. And in 2 Samuel chapter 6, there's a story that gives a detailed account of how the ark of God, which represented the tangible presence of God, It represented God himself and that ark was taken from the people of Israel. David in his passionate pursuit of God goes to bring that ark back to where it belongs, right in the center of the heart of Jerusalem. And I'm gonna gonna look at 2 Samuel chapter six and we're gonna look at verse five. This is attempt number one. Little spoiler alert, it didn't work out too well. David and the whole house of Israel were celebrating with all their might before the Lord with songs and harps and lyres and tambourines and sistrums and cymbals. Listen, listen to this language. They celebrated with all of their might. I believe worship should tire you out. We ought to expend energy when we worship God. 
That's what David did. He celebrated with all of his might, with all of his strength. I believe David shouted at the top of his lungs. He was so excited about God coming in. Remember that picture of God running around, singing, dancing, leaping, spinning around under violent, intense emotion. That's our God. He deserves just as much from us. He deserves just as much from us. So here's David, he's bringing the ark back and he's celebrating with all of his might. And the spoiler alert here is that they did not worship God in the manner that God prescribed. They worshiped God in the manner that was easy. And when they did, the ark, the ark was unsteadied and a man reached out to steady the ark and he was consumed. Fear of the Lord struck David, it struck all of his people. They parked the ark at a man's house by the name of Obed-Edom. And then David the king hears the house of Obed-Edom is getting blessed. Friend, I tell you, if you can bring the ark to your house, men, bring the ark to your house. Bring the ark into your living room. You know, from time to time, we ought to just turn off whatever that, that sports thing or that, that our favorite TV show. And we ought, to just, we, ought to, we ought to just put some music on so we can bring the ark into our house. Come on. Children, your children ought to see what, it's, what it looks like for a man to worship God with all of his might. Some of your children will stop judging you here if you'll show them what it looks like there. Lead the way. You want passion back in your marriage? Bring the ark back. Finances will come. Healing will come. Life will come. Strength will come when you bring the ark back into your house. Friends, bring the ark into your home. So David hears that the house of Obed-Edom is getting blessed. And look what happens here. He decides to go back and bring it back. Look at verse 12. Now, King David was told the Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and everything he has because of the ark of God. So David went down and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. And when those who were carrying the ark of the Lord had taken six steps, he'd say, stop, we're gonna sacrifice Every six steps, they would sacrifice a bull. He said, I'm not playing this time. We're going to do it right. If worship does not cost you something, you ought to evaluate your worship. Maybe we'll get in that next week when we talk about the DNA of the house as worship. You know, I was, I was thinking about our time today and the thought entered into my heart. We're going to be doing this for all of eternity. You know, if you're coming here to get a good word, I just want you to know that what is most important is not the pulpit, but the throne. What is not most important is that you hear from a man, but that you encounter God. What is most important is that we do what we'll be doing throughout all of eternity. You're not gonna be hearing somebody preach to you in eternity. You're gonna be worshiping the lamb. So we might as well go ahead and start practicing now. So David says, we're gonna do it right this time. Look at verse 14, David wearing a linen ephod danced before the Lord with all of his might. And while he and the entire house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouts and the sound of trumpets. I love that. He danced before the Lord with all of his might, all of his energy, all of his strength, all of his passion. Listen, don't, don't hear this. And this, this is not a condemning word today, church. Nobody's judging the way that you 
express your love to God. I hope you're hearing that. What we're talking about is we're talking about building a culture in this house where we express our passion to God in everything that we do. Worship in the corporate setting being just one component of it. Just one component of it. But it's important for us to see these examples in the scriptures. These are, the, these are our models of what it means to live a passionate life. You know, when I asked people in the house what they thought of when they thought about Antioch Church, here's some words that came out, awaken, awakening, fire, fierce, alive. All of those words can be wrapped up into the word passion. We are a fierce people. We are alive people. We are an awakened people. It's a part of the reason why we exist. You cannot awaken something when you're asleep. We want to awaken the church into, into its passion unto God. I wanna end with this verse right here in Colossians 3.23. Because if we're not careful, we can, we can get very dualistic with this. What I mean by that is we can, we can localize and minimalize this message down to what we do on a Sunday morning or what we do in a corporate setting. Colossians 3.23 says, whatever you do, say whatever you do. Why don't you point at somebody and say, whatever you do. Now point your son and say, whatever I do. And what's the next part of the verse say? Work at it with what? You know, one of the definitions for passion is wholehearted. I did a search for wholehearted or wholeheartedly or all of my heart, and you'll see it all throughout the scriptures. You see it in the Psalms where David says, praise the Lord with all of your heart. Caitlin mentioned it earlier this morning. The scripture says, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. The author of Proverbs would appeal to his sons and he would say, listen with all of your heart. Seek God with all of your heart. The promise in Jeremiah, what is it? If you will seek him, how? With all of your heart, then you'll find him. It's interesting that God doesn't say, you'll find me if you just make a move towards me because God is not gonna reserve his best for those who half-heartedly pursue him. He says, if you will seek me with all of your heart, then I will show myself to you. Call unto me with all of your heart. Colossians 3.23, whatever you do, if you're a painter, do it with all of your heart. If you write stories, do it with all of your heart. If you're in the military, do it with all of your heart. When you, when you read the word, when you invite people over to your house, when you have a cup of coffee with someone, do it with all of your heart. You know, as a man who meets with people quite often, there are times when I'm not on my game where in the midst of so many things that I have to do, when I have a meeting with someone, if I'm not careful, I'll, 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 I'll almost miss an opportunity because I'll say, oh, you know, I really need to be getting this done. I don't have enough time, but I got to meet with this person. Friends, I want to be a man that when I meet with someone, I'm 100% engaged, cell phone aside, eyes dialed in, and I'm meeting you with all of my heart. Parent with all of your heart. Love your spouse with all of your heart. Friend, we are passionate people. who you were created to be. Allow yourself to be passionate again. Give yourself permission. Place demands on yourself to be passionate. If we were all honest with ourselves, 
the greatest actors and singers and, and sports entertainers are the people who are the most passionate. They're the ones who fire us up. Am I right about it? Nobody likes watching a boring game or a boring movie. We want passion. Would you stand to your feet with me this morning?